In this last session, uh, we're going to look, just going to pick up the story a little bit with Elijah, but we're not going to just look at him. And uh, I gave the title, The Bigger Picture, I think. That'll probably go up in a moment. But uh, I could give it another title, which could be, It's Not Only About You, Elijah. <laughs> and uh, it's not only about you. I mean, in a way, everything I said over the last two days, <clears throat> I hope it will blend together. We started off looking at us being Elijah people, and that's where we're going to finish up, really, how we do play our part in a bigger picture of our nation and our city. But in doing that, we need to learn to be men and women of faith. We need to handle discouragement. We need to pray for each other, be strengthened. And I trust God's ministered to us all. But um, I just want to read now a few verses from 1 Kings 19, which is... Uh, <clears throat> We've already got down to verse 14. That's where we stopped a few minutes ago. We're not going to read much, but just verses 14 to 18. So remember, we got that quiet voice, the gentle whisper, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's this mean to you? You know, what's this all about? Trust we have heard that voice, some of us, even as we, in a positive voice, really, as we worshipped and focused on Jesus. Well, Elijah replied, he's still struggling, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So he's saying, he's still there, he's still saying, Lord, it's just me, and I'm shot up, really. And the Lord said, go back the way you came. Back on track. You're going back to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, as I said to you earlier, we need to remember, because we don't have time to read the whole thing, as you read on, that's not the end of Elijah. Probably 10 more years before we get to what's 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elijah goes up to heaven in a chariot and Elisha finally takes the mantle on. Elisha is a good disciple. He's a humble servant. He's described as the man who poured water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, he just made sure he, you know, he had the water he needed to wash. It was a humble role. It's a whole other story, the calling of Elisha, a very interesting one. And so for 10 years, he didn't stop ministry, Elijah this is, because if you read, I think it's 1 Kings 22, we won't going to even look at it, there's a key issue of Naboth's vineyard, fascinating story. If you're doing, when I have a chance to, to preach all the way through Elijah, you know, you'd focus there and learn other things. But what you do learn is Elijah is back confronting evil. <laughs> he, he meets Naboth in the vineyard, and uh, sorry, Ahab, and says, you know, God's judgment on what you've done. And it's another story. So he's still active. But the thing I want you to get is that it's not only about him or only about us. And and we need to now get the bigger picture and see how we fit into that as well. You see, he's saying, I'm the only one left and it's all falling apart. But God says, no, no, it's not like that at all. 
And as you read through, and we'll be very quick on this because of time, as you read through um, the next few chapters, chapters 20 and 22, it's amazing how many other prophets are active and are working. And I'm a little conscious of time, so we're going to just sort of flag this up. You'll have to trust me. There's a whole story behind each one. But if we just flag up, give you a flavor of it, 1 Kings 20, verses 13 to 14. This is after, as you can see, 20, it's the next chapter. Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, this is what the Lord says. You see that vast army? I'll give it into your hand today. You'll know that I am the Lord. Who will do this, said Ahab? This is what the Lord says. The young officers will go out to battle, and uh, who'll start the battle? You will. Now, this is a totally different scenario. Another prophet, I don't know if we know his name, who comes and helps Ahab despite his backslidden state. God is still protecting his people. Another story of God's grace. And he helps Ahab protect the nation, that prophet. That's that scenario. But what... Uh, uh, no, we're not going to read... We'll flag it up. I won't hardly read this one. The next one is just more of that story where that prophet comes in and keeps giving strategy. Let's move on to the next one. 1 Kings 20, 41 to 43. This seems to be a different prophet. So it'll be the next slide, please. Thank you. I'm not even reading that one. This will be a different prophet. And what happens here is Ahab, because he's a pretty messed up guy, he doesn't do all God tells him. And he actually uh, does let the, the enemy go. And this prophet, it's quite interesting. I'll give you the story. You can just read what I'm saying. This prophet is a different style. He actually, he actually gets someone to hit him with a sword. I mean, it's quite great. Say, right, give me a blower. So he gets a rig gash bleeding in his head, and he wraps it round, and he staggers along like this, and he really is hurt. And Ahab, he says, oh, Ahab, you know, I was looking after someone, and I let him go, and, uh, you know, he hit me. You know, someone hit me. You know, he makes a sort of story, a whingy story up, in which he says, I was responsible for looking after someone, but I didn't do the job very well, and I got hurt, and will you please help me? And I have to, it's your own silly fool. You know, you should, shouldn't have let the guy go. And this guy takes off his bandage and stands there and says, and that's for you. And he's right like Elijah, he's right in his face. He says, you're the man who let, uh, you know, God told you to judge them, you've let them go. And, he's, and this is a very bold, Elijah-like character who we have there. And then you move on. The next slide, please. I mean, I'm not time to go into this detail. It probably doesn't matter. There's a whole other guy who, who, who is Micaiah who appears. And he's a, a gutsy guy too. He is brought in when there's a battle coming. And Ahab has got all these false prophets who say, Oh, wonderful Ahab, you're going to win. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. It'll all go well with you. And Micaiah comes in and he says, starts. He's saying, because he... Ahab says, oh, I don't like him. He doesn't prophesy good things. And Micaiah comes in and he says, should I go to battle? Will I win? And Micaiah goes, yeah, go, go to battle and win. You know, and everybody can tell this is not. And Ahab says, oh, tell me what you really think, sort of thing. You can read it for yourself. Tell me the truth. He says, well, here's the truth. You're going to get judged and God's going to. And, and then as a result of that, Ahab gets really angry with him, having asked him to tell him the truth, and says this, this bit. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah, that's it, and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, to Joash, the king's son. Say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison. Give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah, wow, don't you love these characters? Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, <laughs> the Lord has not spoken through me. And he added, mark my words, all you people. <laughs> so as they drag him off to prison, he says, if you return safely, I haven't spoken, Lord. <laughs> as they drag him out. I mean, these guys have got guts. 
I mean, they're up there with Elijah, and they're in there doing their stuff, and it's all parallel. That's the fascinating thing. It's all parallel to Elijah, and particularly these last 10 years with Elisha. It's like they're, they're kicking off all over the place. Men of God are appearing and beginning to move in the land, and stuff's beginning to rock and shake. Once upon a time before Elijah, that seemed like Jezebel could call all the shots. Now it's changing a bit. Still tough, still get thrown into prison on bread and water. But, you know, these characters are coming out and doing it. So what is the lesson for us? We can put up the next slide. There were other prophets at work in the nation. And the lesson for us is that actually God's on a bigger thing than just us. Which is not a... We're going to see how... What do we do? But it's not just about us. And, And Elijah had to learn that. You see, he thought, I think... One of the things that may have depressed him, as I said... He may have thought it all hangs on this breakthrough in Carmel. Uh-oh, doesn't happen. Oh, what's going on? But actually, God says, I've got other people. It's Jay who's going to do this. He's going to finish Jezebel off. That's what he did. And, uh, you know, he's going to lie. He's going to pick up the baton from you. I've got this. I've got 7,000 others. There's all sorts of things going on. I'm still on the throne, and I'm working, Elijah. God is still on the throne. Amen? Amen. And God is working across our nation. And we have our part to play as others play their part. This is a big war. It's to bring the kingdom of God. It's to break through the strongholds of our city and our nation. It's to bring the good news of Jesus to the nations, not just to this nation, to the nations of the world. This been going, the church has been rolling on for 2,000 years. Don't let anybody put you on the back foot about the church. It's an exciting thing to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. I, I, it was about the time of the millennium. Uh, year 2000, I saw a statistic, fascinating, interesting statistic, just a simple one really. In the year 1000 AD, it's estimated that of the people on the planet, one in 100 would have called themselves a Christian. This is very broad. We're not talking about born again particularly. We're talking about just what, if you ask them, one in 100 would have called their religion Christian. In the year 2000 AD, one in ten people on the planet would have, if you had to say, what religion would you say you are, would have said Christian. I mean, that's an interesting statistic, isn't it? It's not going backwards. Just think, 150 years ago, there probably wasn't a believer in places like uh, South Korea. Now they've got the biggest churches in the world in South Korea. There was probably hardly a believer in places like China and like um, South America, some of the South American countries, where actually a lot more is going on than there is in Britain and in Europe at the moment, where there are multiple huge breakthroughs of God, Colombia and Brazil and, and South uh, Korea and uh, Philippines, all sorts of places. The church is just going on and it doesn't break. It's never. Jesus is building his church. And the gates of hell do not prevail against it. And God's still on the throne for Canada and for Europe and for England. But it isn't just going to be one or two churches that do it. God's work is always bigger than the individual. And even the individual church. We mustn't just be me and my ministry. Now that doesn't mean we water ourselves down. We've got to take a half hour just to think how this works. But it is true that we're not the only ones. There's a lot going on. Elijah himself is called to broaden his vision. and Realize not only are there 7,000 other prophets... You yourself have got to multiply your ministry. You've got to get Elisha going and Jehu and this other guy who I can never remember his name. 
So you, you've got to get these people. Got, you've, you've got to do more than just you. And I think that's true here. You've talked about church planting. I would say you will do that. I'm not saying it has to happen straight away. Hastings, we church planted uh, twice. The first time wasn't very successful. The second time was an absolute rip-roaring success, partly because it was led by Don and Stephanie, our best leaders. Uh, and leadership is very important with church plant. I mean, Don will give you lots of wisdom on that. He's an expert, so I'll let him talk about that. But actually, you, you also will have a heart for the nations. You already have. We have both in Hastings. And, I mean, when I was a, I was a local... I, I mean, Hastings is a backwater, as we'd say. It's not a big town, not a major town. When I, Mary and I grew up there, it's the only town we knew. We were born elsewhere, but that's where we were brought up. And, you know, the idea that I would travel, and I have traveled to Canada for the first time, India ten times, Russia, I've been to South Russia, North Russia, Moscow several times, Portugal, you know, I, I, I mean, this is all church stuff. It's not holidays. I am having a holiday next week. But, you know, what I'm saying is I, the idea that would happen to me, little small town John teaching in the, the school he grew up in. It was a school I was taught in. I went back and, school I learnt in, I went back and taught in. You know, and, and you just think, God's expanded my vision. And it would do the same, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's exciting being on an adventure with God. But it isn't just you and what you do. I mean, actually, the UK, which I won't go into great detail, because obviously I, I would normally speak often to a UK audience, but the UK is a very secular society, as I said to you, I think, yesterday. But despite that, there are very exciting things in the church. There are all sorts of growing, flourishing, what we call often new churches, which are our sort of church, you and us. There are Anglican churches that have really been renewed majorly. I mean, an obvious one you'd know about is Holy Trinity Brompton. Huge impact. And, and some people, I think, rightly say that the impact of Alpha is as great, if not greater, than the Billy Graham surge when Billy, Billy was out there. Great guy. You know, many of us in my generation would have benefited. But, but actually, Alpha's probably seen as much, if not more, fruit. And it's quite often rooted into local... It's more substantial, if I'm honest, without derade, degrading or deriding or anything, whatever the word is. Poor old Billy Graham. I mean, he's brilliant. But it's a different era. But, I mean, all sorts of exciting things are happening. Am I going too fast? I do gabble. My mu- I, can, I can hear my mum, who's been in heaven for years, saying, don't gabble, don't gabble. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm just excited and conscious of time. Two things that are not a bit, make me gabble. Um, but I'm excited. I, I, think, I think there's all sorts of stuff in Britain going on in churches. Of course, the impact has not fully hit the nation yet. Alpha's doing pretty good. People do know about Alpha. You can get television programs on Alpha, and some of them are sympathetic, which is virtually a miracle in Britain. But, but actually, uh, you, you know, there is stuff going on. But it's on the move. We're not there yet. I see another lesson here as well, though. There were others working in the nation, and I'm sorry I've... Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't jumped ahead. I see this one. I want to put... This is the other main point. Other prophets were inspired, emboldened, and released by Elijah's example. And I want to just take, yeah, about 15 minutes or so just to unpack. So, so, you know, is it all like, what's Elijah's role? What's our role? How does it work? Because as best I can understand it, what I've just put there on the screen is probably true. Elijah seems to be the cutting edge, as best you can understand it. The whole place is in utter, Baal worship is the thing. All I said yesterday 
It's, it's, it's ruling the nation. Prophets who are there seem to be locked up in a cave. And if I go back 20, 30, 40 years in the UK, you could say church life was like that. There were real Christians all over the place, but they were like, where are they? They're locked up in a cave. And God did something with some of us. And I think people like Don, if I'm honest, were real cutting-edge pioneers. Some going back to the 70s and maybe even the late 60s, people like Terry Virgo. And a lot of it was linked to the baptism of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, actually coming on people who were nothing like Pentecostals. People came from Baptist churches like Terry Virgo did. People who came from Brethren churches like Don and I did. People who came from Anglican churches like others did. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit was just poured out and it shook everything up. And we just couldn't keep quiet. And you just felt like you, you're like an Elijah. You felt, is there another voice here? But we're out here saying, hey. The, and, and, you know, things that drove us were often, it works. The New Testament is alive. It's true. You know, the, church, the world needs this. They need to know. There's, there's, there's bread in Zion, you know, that you can be healed and delivered and worship can be fun and the Holy Spirit can come on you. And frankly, there's a grace of God you don't understand. You know, all the stuff. And you just were out there. And sometimes you felt you're the only people. I mean, back in the 70s and uh, late 60s, you probably were a real minority. And I I remember us having Bible weeks, as we called them. uh, It's a UK perspective. But things like uh, Dales and Downs were all our sort of churches. Well, actually, now in the UK, there are scores of Bible weeks. and, And some of them are run by... Things like spring harvest, they might not mean much to you, but big things of weeks and weeks of, of Christians coming together. Worship. I mean, we're out there on the edge worshipping. And now, I mean, if I'm honest, charismatic worship is mainstream and sadly it's big business as well. But it, it's not just about guitars. We have to remember that. And you guys, it's not just about that, I can see. It's about, you know, spirit-filled worship. It's about being led by the Spirit. It's about speaking and singing out these wonderful truths with life. And and all this stuff was going on. But in the end, I think, going back to Elijah and drawing the parallel, you press forward in what God calls you to, and you look around, and you're provoking others. Sometimes they're inspired by what you do. And I guess that's hopefully most of the time. I think, hey, I, I learned something there. I can work that out in my scene. And emboldened and released, they get a boldness. They see you perhaps take a few hard knocks and go through a few hard calls in your church situation. They think, wow. I mean, you'd be surprised. I bet people in Fredericton admire this church. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you'd be surprised what some people think. I think, hey, they have the courage to press through and deal with some hard things. You may have some bad publicity. We've had, certainly in Hastings and elsewhere. When we started off, we, you know, people thought we were a cult and all sorts of weird things. But you know you would meet people. I'd meet leaders. And they'd quietly say, I wish I was doing what you're doing. You do? I mean, Anglican vicars, good men of God. Oh, yeah. I've still got the church parish council. I've got this. I can't even change the pews. I said, you envious of me. I, I, I'm envious of you. You look, everybody thinks you're wonderful. You know, you, you're a, the local Anglican, you know, call you in for all the civic duties. You know, I wasn't mocking, but I said, we're just nothing. We're off scouring. He said, oh no, you, you guys, you know, that's what I admire. Sometimes you really realize that people out there are watching and thinking, no, no, I, I'm provoked. I think if you can do that, I can at least change the pews. You know? <laughs> if, you, if you can go that far, I can at least go this far. 
And, and, and I think it does impact people. You don't know. If you just go on in God, just follow through on what he calls you to. Some, I haven't even put it up there, were maybe provoked by envy or jealousy. I, I mean, that seemed to happen in the New Testament. And Paul says, great, if they preach Jesus, as long as they preach Jesus, even if they're saying, hey, we can do that as well as Paul. Well, great, as long as they really preach Jesus. And if some people say, yeah, you don't need to go to that silly meeting place, we can do that over here. But as long as they really want to honor Jesus, that's great. But what we want to do is shake up things. And Elijah did it. We want to say, and sometimes we think we're just alone doing it, and God says, you're not really. I'm speaking to a lot of other people at the same time. And you just need to, oh, right, yes, so you are. <laughs> and, and so then we need to be careful that we don't somehow lose what we are. I don't think you've got that problem here, but I, I think maybe it'll come to you where, the, we, I've struggled with this a few times, where you become the biggest, we, we became the biggest church in Hastings in the end, physically, not probably on paper. There were some big Roman Catholics got about 800 members. But, you know, if you're gathering 400 committed people, that's big stuff in some of our British towns. And that was in Hastings. And suddenly everybody wants to be your friend. This is 20 years after you start when they all want to hate you. Everybody wants to be your friend and get you involved. Would you chair the local minister's fraternal? Will you be part of this? Will we all do this together? You know, we'll all be nice and kind. And, and then they try, I don't want to be unkind, but you know what I mean. They try and dial you down. And, and uh, say, yeah, no, 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 no. Just, yeah. And you have to work out how to work your way through that. Not to be unpleasant, but to say, no, uh, this is what we are. We're Elijah, okay? We speak the word. We're word and spirit. You know, I can remember the early days when Don was still around uh, in Hastings. We had first, at first it wasn't a problem, but we're now being invited into everything. And they wanted to do a lot of joint meetings. And you see, I, we, I think you're probably like this, how we operate as a church is the church is the body of believers, right? We're the family of God. We're all friends. When we do something, we by and large all do it. So we go away for the weekend. We sort of expect everybody's going to go away. We're a little disappointed if 10% don't come, which is probably what may happen. So, so if we say, right, there's going to be a joint celebration. We've agreed we're going we're to have a big Christian celebration in Hastings. We want you all there. Now, for us, that means... At that time, weren't as big as we are now, 200 people are going to turn up. Every other church, that means 10 are going to turn up. Do you see what I mean? Because they don't think like that. So we go up, and they used to get upset. You're taking over all our meetings. We're not taking them over. You said you wanted a meeting. We're here. Yeah, but you've got 200 people, and we've got 20. Why's that? Well, that's how it is. You know, only a few come who fancy coming. But we don't even think like that. See, so you have to sort of work your way through these things. It's a bit of a distraction. But you mustn't... I don't want to end up like that, you see? I mean, it's always a battle that you end up sort of all a bit similar. You want to keep your distinctives. Let me just highlight ever so quickly. What are the sort of distinctives? This isn't a preach. This is just a heart talk. What, you know, you must keep distinctive. Here's a distinctive. The church is a community of people that you belong to. It's not a building you attend. Never lose that. We got buildings, and I find even at Winchester, if I'm honest, I know it's going to go on tape, there's a tendency to more move back towards that, that the building's the church. People keep talking, calling it the church. Okay, there's a way in which you can use the language that way, but I do want you to be careful. You're the church. 
Actually, the church is at Green Hill this weekend. It's not in a building. It's not, oh, we haven't gone to church. Here we are. We are a church. So let's remember the church is a community of people. It's not a building. Even as you get big and you will own buildings and you'll probably have a nice big building one day. That's what's happened to both Don and myself. We started off for years without buildings and we've got the biggest buildings in town, church-wise now. But, in fact, in Winchester, we've got... If you want to gather 750 people, the best building to gather them in is Winchester Family Church's Middlebrook Centre. The Middlebrook Centre is the best auditorium in Winchester. Seriously. It's bigger than the... I'm, not, I'm just telling you, it's a fact. We've got a cinema, but we beautifully refurbished the cinema. So we've got a cinema that takes 800 people, beautifully redone. So people want to hire it, because if you want to get 700 people comfortable, our building's the best one in town. But that's not the church. Now, we didn't start like that. We started with 12 people in Don's house. So, you know, God can take you to amazing places, but you don't want to lose things on the way. You really, really don't. People. The church is another thing we must hold to. The church is made up of believers in Jesus Christ. We're always going to welcome unbelievers amongst us. That's New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's talking to them about tongues and prophecy. He says, just be wise how you behave, because what will the inquirers and unbelievers think if you behave like maniacs, which is what they were doing? So we're always going to welcome unbelievers amongst us, but actually the church, you can only belong to the church of Jesus by having Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So I, I know some churches have philosophies, the gathered church, the visible church. The church can only be people who own Jesus Christ as Lord. Why do I say that? That means I'm never satisfied until I get people into that level. I'm delighted they attend. And even in our circles, New Frontiers, there's a new emphasis in the UK on bottoms on seats, as we say, numbers. You know, oh, we've got 500. What's that? We've got 500, includes kids, includes dogs, it includes this. Look, hang on a minute. I, okay, I can live with that, but I want that defined, what that 500 means. Because actually, you know, you're not in till you own Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So I'm always wanting you, because you're not going to go to heaven until that happens. You're going to still be going to hell. You might be sitting there singing with us. But actually, I want you to own Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, that doesn't mean I get heavy. It just means I think that way. That's my value. There's plenty of churches out there, nice ones, that don't actually think that way. So that means I think, well, what does that mean? I want to see people repenting. I want to see people putting faith in Jesus. I want to see them baptized, like we saw yesterday. I want the markers down. I'm not going to be satisfied. Ultimately, I love you and I'll embrace you and we'll have you around, but I want to see you right in. <laughs> and I want to see you baptized, which means you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I want to see you filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not really happy till I've got you there. And we've got to keep like that as we grow and not back off on that sort of thing. A believer is someone who owns Jesus as Lord and has those New Testament foundations in their lives. I tell you another thing. We believe in body ministry, that the church is not about clergy-laity divide. You haven't got your professional pastor, Joe, here, and he does all the spiritual stuff, and you pay his wages, and like you pay for your lawyer, your doctor, your car mechanic, and your pastor. No, 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 no. He is here to equip you to do works of service. He is, and not only him, the other elders... But often it gets, the trick is on the full time. People think, oh, he's paid to do it. No, no, he's not. Thank God he's released. There'll be others released, I'm sure, in leadership here. We started off in Hastings. 
Don was uh, a landscape gardener. Then he did work in the local hospital because it kept him a bit more, he, you know, he didn't have to run his own business. I was a school teacher. We were both elders in the church. Then Don went full-time. Then I went full-time. And the reason, yeah, God was in it, but it was quite pragmatic. We just felt God called us. We needed more manpower. God was, re- you know, releasing the finance. It was scary, but it was a faith step, and we were going for it. That will happen here. But these people who are full-time are not professionals. They're, they're not the people who do the work. They may help the oil the wheels of the church. And ideally, they will be bringing some leadership. I, I, I guess that's why they'd be there. And they'll be equipping you to release you for works of service. But we believe in the whole body, don't we? And every member has a part to play. Amen? Amen. You've all got gifts. No one will not have gifts from God. Every member will be gifted in some way. It be very different, variety of ways it will work, but you've all got a part to play. And we will believe that when we're 3,000 as well as when we're 300. We'll have to work hard at how we do it because you can get preaching centers. Great people. People like Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my heroes, really only built a preaching center where people sat and took massive notes. Wow. And it was wow. But actually we want to build a living body where every member plays their part and everyone understands they're here to do that. We believe God is sovereign in salvation. We believe he began this and he will finish it. So we acknowledge the sovereignty of God in our lives. Don't lose that. That we are a people who understand the grace of God. Don't ever lose that. You must keep refreshed in that almost daily, I suppose. What we do is motivated by grace. Church gets so legalistic. It's one of the cutting edges of our Elijah call is to be a people of grace. Now, it doesn't mean sloppy and we do anything. It means we are motivated by grace. What's motivated by grace? Well, it's a whole sermon which you're not going to get. But here's some heads up on it. It means you're motivated by what God's done for you, not what you have to do for God. So you're always going to come back to Jesus and the cross. What you do is to please Jesus. I don't set you a set of rules. These are the films you can watch. These are the books you can read. These are the this. These are the that. I introduce you to Jesus, and I say, live to please Jesus. When you go and sit in a cinema or watch a DVD, ask Jesus if he's enjoying it. You enjoying this, Jesus? Can I give thanks for what I'm doing? I give thanks for this pornographic movie. You can't do it. Thank you, Jesus, for this blue movie. No, you can't do it. You walk with the Lord and you will walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, obviously you could say, well, there's a lot more to be preached into that, but I don't want to create a legalistic environment. I want to engender a relationship and a love for Jesus. And then I say, now please, Jesus, live with Jesus. If If you've got a relationship with Jesus, I can trust your walk with him when I'm not there saying, what are you doing here? You haven't checked with the elders about that, have you? You know, motivated by your love for him is so important for grace. And it's not, it's not actually what you do, it's why you do it that God's more interested in. That is grace. So much religion, Christianity ends up legalistic. What you do. Do you get it right on the outside? Do you look holy? Do you make the right noises and wave your arms at the right height for our church? No, no, no. Why do you do it? Do you say, oh, I love you, Jesus. 
Or do you think, this is a charismatic church, so I ought to do this, didn't I? That's what everybody else does. <laughs> no, no, no. It's why you do it. That's what grace is always about. It's what God's interested in. That's what we have to work on. So when Christians have a behavior problem, they usually have a belief problem. So when you're addressing behavior, you need to address belief. Do you understand who you are in Christ? That's the whole way the New Testament approaches it. Think of Paul, 1 Corinthians 6. He's got gross immorality in the church. He doesn't just get in their face and say, don't you know the Ten Commandments? He says, don't you know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you're one spirit with the Lord? See what he does? He teaches them who they are in Christ. Because that is how it all works. And that is a mini-sermon in itself. That's only a point, really. We've got to be a people of grace and a people of supernatural time management. Um, we go, okay, we're going to be really quick, because you know this stuff. We believe in apostles and prophets. Amen? Not back off that. We believe that the local church is governed by the local leaders, by the elders. It's not uh, part of a big organization of which it's the subsection. This is autonomous, but those people themselves are serving that church and, in, their sen- in a sense, submitted to those over them in the Lord, because otherwise you wouldn't have the balance. We don't believe the church is just driven by voting, but we do believe that it's the Holy Spirit leads us through the spiritual authority of the local eldership in a sort of healthy tension with what God is saying to the whole body of the church and the wisdom and vision that comes from the translocal ministries. It's a more subtle balance and tempting to follow New Testament principles, not just having a vote on everything, because that's just a human uh, construct. Uh, I'm not saying it's all wrong, but we try to work what is the Spirit of God saying, recognizing spiritual authority. Again, it's a whole subject in itself. We endeavor, therefore, not to have inflexible structures to our church or build inflexible traditions in our church life. We believe we are here to fulfill the Great Commission. Amen? I.e., to preach the gospel. We are here for the gospel. If we're only here for our own enjoyment, we might as well have gone straight to heaven because it's going to be even better there. There must be a bigger thing in our hearts. Every one of you should have mission in your heart. You may not be an evangelist, but you may, you want people saved. That's what we're here for. We mustn't lose that. As you grow bigger, don't lose it. Keep radical. Keep on the front foot. Words, works, and wonders. Building the kingdom, extending the kingdom with preaching, with works of compassion and kindness, kingdom work, and with the wonders, the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. Actually, we believe that the gospel is for the nations. And world vision should be part of every local church. Every local church needs the world in its heart. We're actually for the nations. You know, the book of Acts is an amazing template, I would say, for every generation of believers. I think that's why God's given it to us. The book of Acts covers 30 years of history. And it starts with 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the end, just 30 years later, there are churches planted all around the eastern Mediterranean. There are churches have got as far as Rome. And it ends with Paul in Rome with all sorts of people visiting him about the kingdom of God. It's like the curtain comes down on the first scene of the first act of this great drama of church history. And I think God says, I want every 30 years like that. I want every 120 like that. 
meeting place, Fredericton. You're bigger already than 120. 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit, 30 years' time, there should be big churches that look back to their roots from here, some of them bigger than the mother church. There will be churches planted, there'll be nations touched, because 120 people got filled with the Spirit 30 years ago. Now, you can say, oh, it's a bit fanciful. Not really. 30 years or so ago, about a dozen people filled with the Holy Spirit met in Don and Stephanie's front room. And today, Jeremy Simpkins is a leader who's now apostolic leader in our group. I remember him as a 15-year-old guy leading worship in our church. There are a mu- I won't even bore you. There are multiple leaders around who started from that church. Don and I are both doing what we're doing. There is a church of nearly 400 in Hastings. There's a church of nearly 600 in Eastbourne that did not exist. Just that little 12. And we are very ordinary guys. We're Elijah-like guys. We're just like you. We are very ordinary. I'm a timid, ordinary, slightly sensitive, you know, a bit arty school teacher in a very ordinary school. Don is like, we could hardly read and write, really. He would say that himself. He's learned since. And he, he was a gardener, landscape gardener, a very good one, but that's what he was. And, you know, God can do stuff with all of us. And it's, but you, you need a bit of time, you know? 30 years, but look what acts. I think God says, look at that. I want that every generation. I want that every 30 years. Amen? Amen. Who knows in 30 years what will have, well, probably only got another 25 to go now, what God could relate back to what started with the meeting place in Fredericton. You need to have your eyes on that because that's how it works. We're a word, I'm not going to go on, we're a word and spirit church, amen? We believe in the final authority of God's word. We are not going to do stuff just because it's culturally acceptable. And we're battling with stuff right now, gay issues, women's leadership. We are battling with them in the UK and you will be. And loads of Christians are saying, oh, you know, you know, the gay issues are just the same as the women issues and just the same as slavery. And you can hear Christian arguments all about it. I think, no, they're not. They're not. There's something different here. We've got to do our hard yards work on this. We've got to know that this is the word of God. It's not just fashion. And your leaders will be sweating over that, and they'll need to. Because we, you know, we only got here by obeying the word of God. Because we believe the gifts of the Spirit in the word. It wasn't a fashion thing. It's a word thing. And, and we must be the same with everything else. We are word and spirit. We believe in preaching. Thank God you have patiently listened to me for many hours over this weekend. You believe the Bible's important, don't you? But we also believe it's important to have times where the Holy Spirit just freely moves amongst us. In fact, he's in both. He's in my preaching and he's in our worship. And we believe that. It's not either or. We're not now, oh, we've forgotten about preaching. You know, we just have worship and a few candles. No, no. We don't. We're never going to do that. We're always going to bring the word in. We're always going to believe in the word. We have got to be an Elijah people because that means we'll provoke and encourage others. I haven't time for it. You're not going to need to use the other slides, bless you. But as you get towards the end of Elijah's life, it is clear that the other prophets knew about Elijah. Because in, and I don't want to spend the time on it, but in 2 Kings 2, towards the end, you keep getting these other prophets to meet up with Elijah and Elisha. Other guys are going to be faithful. Well done. You can read it as that flicks through. And they're obviously respectful of Elijah. And they say, do you realize what's going to happen? Elisha says, no, no, I don't want to speak about it. And if we got to the last one quite quickly, so there's three there. There's verse 5, it's, it's rather repeating really. And he says, yes, I know, don't speak of it. 
Then you get a verse 7, and then the 15. Thank you. And this is after Elijah's gone. The company of prophets watching, and they saw the spirit of Elijah's resting on Elisha. They went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, what I'm just saying is, there is mutual respect. You guys, we recognize what you're doing. And, and we have been blessed by you, and we honor it. That's what these guys were saying. And then they saw the next generation pick up the baton, and they said, oh, hallelujah, God's still with you, Elisha. Now, I want that sort of response. Not that people bow down to us, that's why it's awkward to put it up there, but, but it, you know what I'm saying, mutual respect, we don't, question, we don't compromise our integrity. We don't compromise the distinctives God's given us because that's part of how we do the work of being what we're meant to be. So, you know, yeah, we might still be a little odd to people. Oh, you only have male elders or you do lots of preaching. Don't you just do feely stuff these days? No, we don't just do feely stuff. We, we teach the word because God's called us to that. And yeah, we do believe in apostles and prophets. And if the only ones we can find at the moment are in England... And that looks daft if you're in Canada. I'm sorry, but I'm, one day they'll be here. And maybe some apostles and prophets growing up amongst you here. But, you know, one day they'll be here. We, we didn't start off with that. Don didn't start off with an apostolic ministry at all. And so, so, you know what I'm saying? You just hold in to the, when it seems a little odd, and you press on. And people, in the end, will recognize it. These other prophets, in the end, said, hey, you know, we've benefited so much from you guys. That's what they were saying. And they themselves were encouraged by these dear men of God, Elijah and Elisha. Wow. Let's worship God. I want us to go out with all of this ringing in our ears. We'll still manage lunch maybe five minutes late. (laughs) Um, Sorry, John. But what I want us to end is saying, Lord, we want to be all you've called us to be. We want the meeting place to fulfill to the full your purpose for it. Amen? In fact, when you all stand, I want to pray that for you while the musicians get themselves organized. I want to pray for this church. So if you are here as part of the meeting place, which I guess is most of you, this is a prayer I want to pray for you. Maybe just to have your hands open, just as a sign, Lord, I want to receive everything you've got for me. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the meeting place. Lord, Marin and I have been blessed by these dear people. I thank you that I see here you are doing an Elijah work. These are pioneers. These are a prophetic people. There is a prophetic dimension to what you're doing with them. Lord, they are on the front edge of much of what you're doing. Lord, we're saying not, not out of pride, but we just recognize it. Lord, it carries its, its downside. They've taken some knocks. They've had some discouragements. But, Lord, I see here also a people who are stronger for that and are clearer. Lord, don't let anybody get exclusive. I pray we will keep inclusive. I pray we will respect the other prophets. We'll give them their due respect as they faithfully follow what you call them to do. I pray, Lord, that other men who are speaking to Ahab as boldly as we are will not be seen as rivals to us but as friends fighting on the same side. The Micaiahs will be our men. They may not be in our section of the battle, but they're our guys, also speaking to a nation. And I pray you'll raise up many large, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in Canada and in Fredericton and in New Brunswick and in Nova Scotia 
Will you raise up many large, effective word and spirit churches? And I pray we have some of them in our section of the army. I pray we have the privilege of planting some of them. I pray, Lord, you will move this nation through local churches that preach the gospel and proclaim the kingdom of God with power and authority. And I ask you that the meeting place will be one of those. Lord, don't let them ever deflect from your call. May this church fulfill to the full your calling on them. Protect them from distractions, divisions, and discouragements that would hold them back. Let them continue to move forward throughout the lifetime of these members. And then hand it on to another generation. If you haven't come back, Jesus. I pray we'll be Elijah-like in that. That we'll be discipling our Elishas and preparing our Jehus for the tasks they've got to fulfill. Lord, be with this church and bless us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.